Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I've already mentioned, but I want to say it again, today we are embarking on an eight-week journey called Hard Questions for Jesus. I've never done anything like this before in my time of being a pastor where I've said to the people of the congregation, you submit your questions, I'll take a look at them, I'll pray about them, and that then will shape the, the content and the direction of these sermons. So uh, I'm kind of excited and intrigued to see uh, what God will do among us and through us. Last week, I gave you kind of a quick introduction and opportunity to submit some questions, and I received a number of them this last week, and we've got a good one to get started with today. However, we're doing this for another seven weeks, and I would love to have your participation in this. And I know you're looking around and you're saying, okay, there's like over 200 of us in there, and there's only seven weeks. If I submit a question, you know, it's not possible that they're going to get to my question (laughs) But here's the deal. I'm going to try to come up with some other formats as well to respond to some of your questions as well. I'm, I'm really even just as pastor curious of what's on the hearts and minds of the people. So here's what we're going to do. Because I have a captive audience right now and in your bulletin you have this form, I'd like you to take it out. It looks like this. <clears throat> some of you have a writing utensil. Many of you don't. Uh, Most all of you probably have your phone in your pocket, though. So here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two minutes right now, and I'm just going to be quiet, and I want you to write on here a hard question for Jesus. If you're going to write it down, uh, we're going to drop it in the offering plate uh, when when we take the offerings. Otherwise, take out your phone, send an email to hq at copperluth.org. I promise you, if if you're worried about this, all these things are going only directly to me. I don't know if that makes you more confident or less confident, but here's the deal. Write down a question, even if you think your question is is dumb or too specific or wrong or anything, just write it down. I'm really curious what's going on, all right? So write something or send me an email. You have two minutes starting now. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, as I'm preaching, maybe, maybe you didn't write anything down, but as I'm preaching, maybe that'll pop a question into your mind. So just keep that out if you haven't written anything down. Again, if you wrote something, drop it in the offering plate in a little bit. The reason that we're doing this series is I want you to feel confident and comfortable to be able to ask God your questions. And if that means coming to me to ask those questions, awesome. I invite that at any time. But I need to be honest right up front. Uh, I don't want you to get your hopes up too high that we're going to be able to address uh, or answer your questions perfectly to the detail that you might desire. I I may not be able to give you the perfect answer, but what I want to do in this is to address your question. I may not be able to answer your question, but I want to address your question and validate the fact that you're even willing to approach your God with your big hard questions. You know, I, I, can't, I can't even tell you how many times I've sat in classrooms or conferences or Bible studies and I've had a question in my mind and I've said to myself, ah, nah, don't ask that question. That's, that's not a good question. And then 10 seconds later, somebody raises their hand and then asks the exact same question that I was about to ask, right? Your question is valid. And I believe that when we approach God with our questions, he validates them for us. 
Because when we approach our dear Heavenly Father, He addresses us as His dear children. And so I think when we're able to ask Him the questions, He responds in, in, in some sort of way to address us, to validate us. You know, I, I kind of think about it uh, like this. I don't know if any of you have read the book, those of you who are parenting kids right now, The Happiest Toddler on the Block. Uh, this, guy, this author also has a book, The Happiest Baby on the Block. But in the book, The Happiest Toddler on the Block, uh, he, he gets into this thing where if you're dealing with toddlers, uh, you can actually affirm their, uh, their demands. Some of you who parented differently might not like this. But, you know, so with, I have a two-year-old, and if my two-year-old is, is demanding, I want a snack now, I want a snack, I want a snack, through, through her frustration, if I can validate her and address her, not by answering her and giving her a snack, but by saying, uh, I hear that you really want a snack. You really, really want a snack. And if you've never tried that, sometimes it, it calms them down when they feel validated and heard. Because the two-year-old can't understand the rationalization of, well, you can't have a snack now because blah, 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 blah. So you just validate, I hear that you want a snack. Right? So in asking God our big questions, he comes to us and says, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Today's question that we're asking and looking into, and it was submitted this last week in a variety of different forms, but I'm going to ask it like this. Why is there evil in this world? We'll put this up on the screen. Why is there evil in this world, especially if God is God and God is good? That's a great question. <laughs> And I want to get a couple of terms straight as we begin. The word evil is up on the screen, and, and right when you hear that word, maybe your mind goes into all kinds of different places. The questions that were submitted uh, took a variety of different forms, and when I'm putting this on the screen and talking about it today, when we talk about evil in the world, uh, we're going to talk about it from a very general, high-level view. So all of these things are in play, from sickness to injury, uh, to tragedies, to storms, to accidents, so on and so forth. Essentially, we're asking the question, why are there bad things happening in this world? All right? We're going to start from a high level today, and over the next seven weeks, I think, I, I would assume a number of your questions uh, relate to this or flow out of it. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to dive a little deeper into some specific applications of this, but today I want to lay a general foundation for us, a faithful one in which we can build on. So let's look at this today. Why is there evil in the world, especially if God is God and God is good? This is one of the oldest questions that humans have tried to answer. Christian people, non-Christian people alike. 300 years even before Jesus walked on the face of the earth, there was a Greek philosopher by the name of Epicurus, and he uh, phrased it like this, right? If God is God, that means he's all-powerful. Uh, if God is God, that, that means he's also good, right? But there's also this problem of evil in the world. So because there's evil, it either means that God is not good, or God is not all-powerful, or there's just no God at all. So how are you going to make sense of this? See, I think for a lot of us, even as Christian people, we, we struggle with the contradictions that we face uh, from our Christian faith and then our world experience, right? So we come to church, we read the Bible, and in the Bible we see that God is powerful, as I told the kids, right? He's powerful. 
God is also uh, all-loving, as we read in the Bible. So if God is powerful and God is eternal and God is loving, how are we supposed to deal with the realities of this broken world in which we live? It certainly often seems like we're facing a contradiction. I'm not sure what you think about all of that, but uh, here's how I see it to simplify it a little bit. This might sound a little bit bold, but how self-centered and arrogant are we to think that God, if he's truly God and he's truly all-powerful, how arrogant and self-centered are we to think that he needs to play according to our rules and our definitions, right? Why would he have to do that? He's God, if he's God, right? I want to teach you a word from the, from the realm of philosophy, and it's this word theodicy. I, don't, I, I think I've taught about this word before, but a theodicy is when, uh, it's a couple of different things, but it's when you try to make sense of God's actions in light of human suffering, right? So uh, sometimes a theodicy is when we try to justify God's actions, like if we, if we know that God is good and God is God and a tragedy happens, if we try to explain this away, right? Sometimes we, uh, we do this when we, when we try to make sense of this problem and we say, well, God's got to be working it out for good, right? Even doing something like that is kind of a theodicy because it puts God into a box where we say, you got to operate according to these rules, God. That is what a theodicy is. And there is a problem with that. You see, I said that we are often self-centered and arrogant, in thinking that God must play according to our rules. Yet this is what we do all the time. And I do it all the time too. Instead of letting God be God, we try to understand Him or we try to control Him. Do you know this? Right? Instead of just saying, God, you're God, we either try to understand Him fully or we try to control Him. We often like to believe that there are all these uh, universal truths, like uh, universal truths about justice and fairness that apply to all people all around the world, that apply to all creation. A lot of us even think that these rules that we have also apply to God. And so we oftentimes say to God, God, you're not being fair. You're not being fair right now, God. But even in saying that to him, we're not allowing him the fullness of being able to be God because we want him just to be another player in the game just like us. But we know that that isn't right. God's not just another player in this game. He is what we would say holy other, like W-H holy, like something holy different, holy other, holy not human. He is God. He does not, he is not bound by our definitions, not bound by time, not bound by space. He is not bound by human logic or understanding. God is holy, other, something totally different than us. I would say it like this. Our perspective is often way too short to understand who God is and his activity and his plans and purposes in this world. See, we can't even come close to a comprehension of what God is doing on his eternal scheme of things. 
Think of it like this. As adults, as adults, how much, uh, how much of the world can you even uh, physically understand in your human mind? In, in regards to time, it is. I think as human, even as adults, all we can really fathom is one lifetime. You can understand the life that you have lived because you've experienced it. And maybe you can wrap your mind around a little bit of the lifetime before you or the lifetime after, but that's about, that's about it. Maybe you can read stuff that happened a long time ago, but you'll never be able to fully wrap your mind around it. Now think about it uh, as a parent or as a, an adult in relation to children. You know, I, I have three children, and by their request, they are remaining nameless today, all right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I'm going to talk generically about children who are two, five, and seven, all right? So two-year-olds, two-year-olds, uh, you know, I, I, well, let's see, our frame of reference in regards to how we understand time, our frame of reference is really based on how long we've been alive, I think. So think about it like this, two-year-olds... Um, they, they don't even really understand mostly like the difference between night and day and how days work. You know, sometimes a two-year-old will think they're going to take a nap when really they're going to bed and sometimes they're taking a nap and, and they think it's bad. You know, they just kind of go with the flow. Um, but two-year-olds oftentimes want what they want right when they want it, right? Because their frame of reference is so short, so now is about all they understand, right? So, they want something now, and they want it now. It's, it's completely fair. That's, that's all they have control over. Five-year-olds, they start to understand how days work a little bit more and how the days of the week work. And so with a five-year-old, you know, you get a little bit more patience and understanding. You can converse with them about how things are, are going. Seven-year-olds, they're starting to understand, you know, how days of the week work and weeks and months and seasons and years and, and have memories from years prior. And so there's more patience and understanding in, in, in how we understand life. All right, now let's take that and apply it to all of us in relationship to God, who is eternal. As I approach God, even as an adult, my understanding of a lifetime when I'm dealing with God, most of the time I treat him like a two-year-old. <laughs> I want what I want, God, and I want it now, and I want an answer now. What do you have to say for yourself? A lot of us know the story of Job, I think. If you don't know the story of Job and you're new to our church, I preached uh, through this whole book earlier on this year. You can go back in our sermon archives and, and dig through it and see how we handled that story. But it's, it's one of the oldest stories in the Bible. Uh, probably one of the, one of the things uh, that, 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 one of the oldest uh, recorded stories in the Bible. Job was a rich and successful man and he lost everything. And we see from the beginning of the story uh, that Satan had it out for this man Job and God allowed it to happen. And so this rich man who was successful lost everything. Job then had these friends, these three friends who came along with all their theodicies. And they tried to reason with Job about why this has happened, what he did wrong to deserve it, try to explain God, so on and so forth. But eventually, Job speaks directly to God and he says, God, I want you to come here and I want to put you on trial and I want to talk to you about what's going on here. 
So God honors his request. And this is what we read in the Old Testament lesson today. God shows up in this whirlwind and he goes directly to Job and he says to Job, Job, where were you when all things came into existence? Job, where were you when I created everything? Where were you when I put the seas in motion? For three chapters in the book of Job, God goes on and on and on to Job saying, Job, were you there when I did this? <laughs> were you there when I did this? What a humbling portion of the scripture. And it, and it, it affected Job because at the end, uh, Job was silenced. He said, I spoke once, but I'm not going to speak again. He repented uh, of his sin. He, he repented for um, you know, challenging God uh, to that degree or trying to understand him. And he just, he realized, he realized it's okay to let God be God. It's okay to let God be God. He, Job realized, I don't need to be God. As a matter of fact, it would be better if I'm not God. I'm not qualified for that task. See, this is the problem with creating a, a theodicy where we try to explain God away, is that in, in, instead of allowing God to be God, we put ourselves in the center and we think that God needs to operate according to our plans and our desires. You know, what comes into play in all of this is, is a simple word called trust. Right? We, we need to trust the scriptures that God really is God and that God really is good and that God really does care and that God is working things out according to his purpose, even though we can't figure it out. Even though we can't see it all, God is still God. God is still good. God still cares about you. And there's evidence of this. Evidence, you say? Yes, there is evidence that God is God and God is good and God cares. There is evidence of this. In the face of human suffering and in the evils of this world, there is evidence that God is God, that God is good, and that God cares about you. Ready for the evidence? <laughs> Plain and simple. Jesus Christ. This is, this is not a cop-out answer. This is not the Sunday school answer. This is the truth. If, if, you don't, if, if you can't see that Jesus is the answer to this, this is the truth. Jesus is God in the flesh, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, all-loving God, who took on flesh and blood, and he suffered the effects of this world suffered the, 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 his friends betraying him. He suffered uh, the effects of, of death and injury and illness. And it was all around him and nothing had power over him. And there on the hill called Golgotha, he died on the cross. And all of those things that caused brokenness in this world were put to death. They have no power over you eternally. And that's not even where the story ends because Jesus rose from the dead and when he rose from the dead to new life, all things were put under subjection under his feet. So Jesus has authority above all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is victorious over the evils of this world. God is God. God is good. God cares about you. He does. And he's doing something about the evils that are in this world. He is. It may not seem like it right now on, on, in your everyday lives. 
You may be searching for answers and saying, well, well, God, where are you in this one? Where are you in this one? Where are you in this one? I tell you, Jesus is going to come back. This is what the scriptures tell us. He's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to make all things new according to his wonderful plan. And so, my friends, why doesn't God intervene every time? Why doesn't God stop the storms? Why doesn't God uh, hold back the wind and the waves? Why doesn't God heal me? Why, why doesn't God allow my loved one to live another day longer? Honestly, I can't reason a guess at that. And I'm, I'm not going to. Because there, there's not a good answer that I could give you. But that does not mean that God is not good. And it doesn't mean that God is not God. It just means that I'm not. And that is good. When things go really badly, see, we don't have to put on a brave face and try to explain God's activity. We don't need to defend his actions. When something is bad and we experience it, the more faithful thing to do is to say, this is bad. I don't like this. This should not be. That is the faithful response. But at the same time that we are doing that, we boldly and truthfully still say, God is God, God is good, God cares, and I know it because I know Jesus, and Jesus knows me, and he died for me, he rose for me, and he's coming back for me. And God will work things out. See, when faced with evil, we don't necessarily need to answer why, but we can answer who. We don't need to answer why, but we can answer who. We know Jesus, and, and just as Jesus stepped into the tragedy of our human existence, so too can we step into the tragedy of the brokenness in our lives and in the lives of others. We step into it, because when we step into it as people of hope, we demonstrate to the world the hope that we have in Jesus who is victorious over the living and the dead and will put all things right in all of eternity. We need to trust that God is working things out according to his plan and his proof and his purpose. And we have proof of this. We have evidence of it in the cross of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus cares. We know he has the capacity to deal with our problems and we believe that there is coming a day when things will be made right. This is what we read in Revelation 21 today. One of my favorite passages in the scriptures. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 said this, when Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will pass away. On that great and glorious day of the return of Jesus Christ, the dead will be raised, <laughs> creation will be restored, your relationships will be made right, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more sadness, it'll all be gone. And in the grand scheme of all of eternity, these moments that we face in the brokenness of this life won't seem like much after all. 
And so I pray that this will guide your perspective as you live in your daily lives because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our confidence. We have a good God. We have a powerful God. We have a God who cares. He does because he sent his son Jesus and we know him and he knows us. May he go with you, give you confidence and hope to trust in his name. Amen, amen. One last thing as we prepare for next week. Here's next week's question and you can be thinking about this as well. And it's this one. Are my prayers working? Are my prayers working?